Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. He's made a mistake and Ketia will pounce and Ketia will score. A loss of concentration and a gift for any Ketia. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra. As always, with James from Gunnerblog, James from an Arsenal perspective, it is a goodly morning. Goodly morning indeed. I could get used to that. Two goodly mornings in a row. Yeah, what's going on? It's a whole new world. Hmm. On <laughs> you I'm glad you went there. I was Thanks. I was thinking of it, but it's not really within my range. Mm. But you managed it beautifully. Thank you very much indeed. That's probably as good as it's going to get for today because we were just talking offline. We've both had a strange old night in terms of not sleeping right and feeling a bit weird. I feel a bit unwell today. I'm not quite sure what it is. So, uh, you know, if I'm not as sharp and witty and erudite as normal. I, I apologize sincerely. Um, yeah. yeah, and I mean, I I'm never that sharp or erudite or witty myself, so I imagine consistent levels of performance <laughs> from me. <laughs> so look, we're into the semi-finals of the FA Cup. A two-one win over Sheffield United at Bramall Lane yesterday. Uh, first and foremost, how annoying on a scale of one to one hundred did you find? the BT Sport commentary team. Before we get into the the secondary, less important things like football and team selection and the things that happened on the pitch, we got to go there first because it was pretty fucking annoying. It was. It was pretty bad. And I have to say, so on BT Sport, we had Steve McManaman who... Mm. I mean, the only positives come out of it is how sad he must be today that Arsenal are still in the FA Cup. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, the, the, he... he He sort of adopted a sort of Mark Lawrenson tone, didn't he, for most of the game, in terms of like how much he appeared to dislike the game of football, let alone Arsenal. Yeah, that's true. But he did manage to combine his dislike of the game of football with his antipathy towards Arsenal uh, throughout. You know, his 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 voice just got higher and higher and higher as the game went on. What's he doing there, Fitz? And you know. <laughs> It was just painful to fucking listen to. And then I was thinking, like, this sort of double team, like, Fletch this. Like, the commentator has a nickname. That's a load of bollocks, if you ask yeah. me. That's complete bullshit. The commentator should not have a nickname. The commentator should not be, you know, by virtue of people calling him Fletch. Like, Fletch, of course, was a series of movies involving Chevy Chase back in the 80s. Sure. Um, which was no, far, far more... Far more entertaining should, than this particular Fletch. They should all just be referred to as Clive, as tradition dictates, <laughs> whatever their actual name is. It's For like... Me, Clive. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, if Martin Tyler, let's say BT Sport, poached Martin Tyler from 
from Sky Sports. Mm. And, you know, he did his, and it's live, just before the game began. They would, like, throw up a graphic, and and Martin Tyler would be rebranded as, like, the Tylenator or something like that, (laughs) just to give him Tylesy. Tylesy's here. (laughs) I I mean, does this apply to all commentators? So, for example, on BBC, John Motson used to get referred to as Motti. Do you you object to that as well? No, I think that was more avuncular. That was more... That was a natural sort of... It's not a cool nickname. Yeah. It's not like Fletch... Sounds like a kind of half-ass private eye or something. What's yeah. going on there? Who's... Oh, I don't know. Some car's been broken into or something. Okay. Fletch and Sav. Fletch and Macca. It was horrible. Fletch and I, Tiles. <laughs> I heard it was even worse, if you can believe it, on BBC Radio 5 Live, because uh, my brother was listening to that in the car, and as, as many of you will be aware, he's not an Arsenal fan. But Danny Mills was on the game. And apparently he was protesting so vehemently about things like the penalty award that at one stage he went, I know it's going to sound like I'm a Sheffield United fan, but I'm not. <laughs> we actually had a question on that from Andrew Chrisatom. Chrisatom, right. I think it is. And he says, as I'm blind, I have to uh, listen to radio commentary. And uh, it was Talk Sport, apparently, with Danny Mills rather than BBC. I don't know. Uh, talk Sport, apologies. Might well have been. That's okay. Uh, he said his disdain for Arsenal was on display front and centre, presumably due to that penalty and what Henri did to him at Middlesbrough. He goes on for like a, a wider point about which commentators are the worst and, and what have you. But. You know, let's let's leave that to one side. But yes, I you know, it must be very, very difficult when your only option is audio commentary and that is coming from the mouth of Danny Mills. Nobody needs that. I mean that seems unfair. But how did these guys get paid all this money to like did you see the bit where they flashed up on the screen and said, Well, <laughs> Arsenal haven't even had a shot on target. It's like, hang on a second, guys. We're winning one nil. <laughs> Yeah. Explain to me how we could be ahead without a shot on target. Explain to me how just moments or minutes earlier you commentated on Nicolas Pepe having a great shot, which the goalkeeper saved. And, you know, which which part of the two shots on target graphic led you to think that it wasn't Arsenal who were playing in yellow and the two was on the yellow bit. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, BT Sport have some weird stat choices. On their app, when you sort of go into the app and look at player stats, for outfield players, there's a category of saves, which I really enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of zeros being scored for saves. They probably introduced that. It was like uh, it was Stefan Onshow who developed the app, I believe. I see. Right, OK, it makes sense. Mm. After that, they felt obliged to implement it. Mm. But yeah, look, BT Sports coverage uh, did irritate me mildly during the game, mm. but we won a game away from home again. I mean, I- overjoyed by that. Yeah, yeah, it was good. And look, you know, cup football and everything else, you know, was it the the um, the Sheffield United game in the FA Cup? Was it a semi-final or a quarter-final? I think it was a semi-final, wasn't semi-final it? Semi-final with what? With the Seaman save, two thousand and three. That was. So what was that? What What did we win that game by? One nil. One nil, I think. One yeah. nil. You know, it's uh, it's easy to sort of look at this and sort of buy into the idea that right we didn't play that well, particularly in the second half, and we only scraped a win with a with a late goal. But you know, 
I feel like there's this sort of drive for perfection at all times. And when we look back at some of the results and performances that we've had with much better teams and much better players, you kind of forget that lots of games are just a bit of a scrap. Lots of games aren't won that convincingly. And it's mm. just sort of winning it that gives you that, that little bit of a, a cushion and a balance. But look, we did win it. And Mikel Arteta had to rotate his squad a little bit, made some changes, but did stick with the back three um, that he that he played at Southampton. Yeah, just on that point, by the way, I mean, that Sheffield United side we played in 2003 was, I think, a Division One team at the time. Mm. And this, this Sheffield United team are pretty good. I mean, they've been better than us for the majority of the campaign. Yeah. They're a point above us in the Premier League. So I do think that any kind of result at Bramall Lane... I mean, we lost there earlier in the season, did we not? We did, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I think any kind of result there is is something to be commended. The back three thing is interesting, I think. I mean, I, I do think that with Arteta, it's... It's almost a bit reductive to be like, oh, it's about four, it's about three, because, you know, what our starting formation is, what they line it up as on the sort of TV coverage before the game, isn't always how it plays out. And, you know, the shape can be different in and out of possession. Sometimes Mm. you can line up with a back four, but it effectively becomes a back three because, you know, you had Saka as a left back playing halfway up the pitch or whatever it Mm. might be. But there are things about this particular system, this particular way of playing that do suit certain players um, and and I have to say I, I'm encouraged by it a little bit away from home and interesting I guess that you know it's now three Arsenal managers in succession who at some point have thought I think I need a third centre-half in this Arsenal team Yeah and it do, you know I know this is not a new observation but it does feel like we've got defenders who are more comfortable and more effective in a back three than they are in a back four yeah. Yeah. So you know David Luiz yesterday I thought he was quite good and he is certainly somebody who feels a lot more comfortable in a in a back three. And I was curious when he went off to see where Rob Holding would be positioned. You know, um, would he look like step outside Mustafi and let Mustafi take the senior role as the the, the middle guy in the back three? But but Holding went in there. And did, you know, pretty okay for the most part. We'll talk about the, the goal in a little bit. But um, yeah. I suppose the, the the two things that stand out when we look at that back three anyway, uh, regardless of the of the personnel in there, are the players outside them. And Ainsley Maitland-Niles on the right, Kieran Tierney on the left-hand side. I really liked Kieran Tierney yesterday. I thought there was something... Um, hugely commendable about his performance really really encouraging and and we have to remember that this is his I think it's just his third game in seven months and you could see in the in the two games he's played previously uh you know that he's a bit leggy that he's Mm -hmm. you know struggling to get up to match fitness and match sharpness and I still think it's reasonable to assume that he's not there yet not 100% there yet but I thought he was just fantastic yesterday uh, up and down that left hand side got stuck in got some good deliveries in he was you know it didn't always work for him there were some moments early on where he tried to push the ball past his his opponent to get a cross in a couple of them just sort of went out for a throw or whatever but the the intent was there the intention to be positive was there the whole time and I thought that was was very very encouraging overall from him yeah I thought he was one of the big big pluses on the day and when I saw the lineup actually I thought he'd be the kind of left-sided central defender and Kalasinac might be at wing back just because mm. you know Kalasinac is kind of better going forward than going back but I do think that Arteta's realized 
don't ask Kolasinac to cover loads of space, you know. Uh, it, yeah. he, he's not brilliant at it. And Kolasinac, I seem to remember when he first signed for Arsenal, his first couple of games were as a centre-half in that system. And he was pretty good and we were all like excited about him. So maybe it makes sense to use him there rather than wing-back. Tierney... Uh, well, we'll get to Kolasinac on the goal, I guess. But but Tierney, I thought, was brilliant and very aggressive. And I mean that in every sense, really. I mean, strong mm. in the challenge, but getting forward. I mean, his average position was pretty high. He was getting to the byline, swung in a couple of deep crosses, combined well with Saka, who was sort of, you know, normally in front of him. So, yeah, a really, really encouraging performance. And after we were talking about, you know, can he put a run of games together? This was a second game in the space of, what, four days or something like that. And I, I think in both games, we obviously saw the physical toll that that took on him, but really encouraging that he could come through it. And, and uh, you know, when Arteta speaks about him, you can tell, and you could tell actually from quite early on, you could tell from before he'd even played a minute under Arteta that the manager really liked what he saw in Tierney. And yeah, he, he seems like a good character. He does like there's sort of no nonsense to him, is there? You know, the everyone's looking at the the, the Tesco the Tesco sure. bag for life. When you think, who is the Lester guy who turned up with the? Was it Madison? Who turned uh, up? Might well the, have been. Who turned up to one of the games at like a? Uh, I don't know who made it. Was it Gucci or somebody? But this kind of yeah. see-through backpack wash bag type thing, and it was. Um, it was grotesque. It was, mm-hmm. it was like the sort of thing somebody buys when they've got more money than they know what to do with. And Kieran mm-hmm. Tierney's shops, so people were saying it's like a Tesco bag for life. It just looked like a normal Tesco plastic bag, the one that you pay 20p for. Not one of the ones that you use, you know, when you go out to do your shopping. Um, I think they're all bags for life now. This oh, are they? Theory. Well, yeah, because, okay. you know, in theory, we should be keeping them all you know, and not um, mm. burying them in the ground to sure. rot the earth. But uh, it was a really uh, sort of a, yeah, a, a sort of neat summation of kind of his attitude to some of the uh, fripperies of the modern game, mm. wasn't it? So, yeah, and, and a really, really good performance. And on the other side, I mean, Maitland-Niles, I thought was, I feel kind of encouraged and also frustrated for Ainsley Maitland-Niles right now because I thought there was a lot that was really promising about his game and I know he's playing as a wing-back, not as a full-back, but I do look at that and look at the fact that we've just given Cedric Suarez a four-year yeah. deal and think, did we, I mean, did this really have to happen like this? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, could there not have been a conversation with Maitland-Niles about, you know, his role in the team and, and everything else? Maybe there was, though, James. You know, maybe that's... Yeah, no, yeah, I think so. Maybe, the, maybe there's something, you know... going to happen in the summer that, you know, means that the Suarez thing had to happen. But, you know, if you were, if you were really keen to sort of um, spend your money in the best way possible, uh, there was an internal solution, if you like. Yeah, and like you say, I think there is every chance that Maitland-Niles will go this summer, kind of regardless of what happens in the next few weeks. And he may well go and play a position that he's more comfortable in or or sees his development in in future. Uh, It is just frustrating because, you know, we all like seeing academy players come through. And actually, I think the pitch kind of in sort of August time was probably, hey, you could be a really good back up right back but I think now you know with question marks over Hector Bellerin's uh, fitness his athletic capabilities and his form certainly 
that's not really the pitch anymore. The pitch is like, if you if you do really well in this, you can compete. Yeah. Properly. I think the, the other thing that we, I mean, we might have said this before is that the idea of being a fullback, if you're someone who wants to be a winger, if you're somebody who wants maybe to be a midfield player, the idea of being a fullback, it was all... It wasn't the most glamorous position, really. Sure, uh, it was functional, and and sort of you get guys who weren't quite good enough to be a winger, and you stick them back there, and that's how it works. But you know, I think the way modern football is going, there's a lot to be uh, uh, to be gained from being one of those fullbacks. You look at the two guys at Liverpool who who. You know, I know it's the way that they play in their system, but you know, if you have attacking instincts you can still fulfill those attacking ambitions, if you like, from those positions. So I just wonder if there was something missing from the clarity of the message or the, the discussions that we were having with, with Maitland-Niles. Um, but, you know, just in, in pure technical terms, uh, you know, I think, that's, I think that wing-back position suits him quite well. Um, you know, the, the, the sort of profile of the player that he's got ahead of him as well is quite interesting. And, and maybe there's something to be looked at in terms of how much Pepe was involved in, in this game um, with yeah. Maitland-Niles rather Absolutely. than Bellerin. Like, I'm not, again, I'm not drawing any definitive conclusions and I don't think it's impossible that, you know, if Bellerin is playing as a wingback, he couldn't combine with, with Pepe either. And um, we talked about Bellerin playing to instruction and, and what have you. But, um, yeah, it is, I understand your frustration on that uh, scenario. Yeah, and I do think, I mean, Pepe on his own will, will, will come to, I'm sure, but there was things about this system that helped him, I mm. think, and Maitland-Niles was definitely one of those. They combined better. I thought there were other elements in that too. I mean, I, I, I seem to have to always couch this opinion because I, I see from my Twitter timeline that he drives people mad, but I do think Joe Willock's presence helps Pepe too because he's just someone who brings... Uh, a bit of drive to that midfield and he, he yeah. gets into areas that give Pepe someone to combine with he gets forward basically yeah I mean there were two chances that we created uh, I think there was one where he played in Maitland-Niles and if I remember correctly the Maitland-Niles cross was a bit of a strange one he sort of hammered it high at the goalkeeper and uh, I think we ended up with a chance and then there's another one where he played Tierney down the left hand side it could have been one of those that he pulled back for Pepe uh, left footed shot mm-hmm. I think that, that went wide and that was to me one of the really interesting things about the Pepe performance was uh, when we had the ball on the left-hand side, he was driving into the box um, to to make runs to try and get on the end of of crosses. I think he did it a couple of times. But that sort of right-hand side to centre run into the box, Mm. I don't want to say it's Freddie Jumberg, but that's what Freddie used to do. Mm. And it is quite interesting to see that from Pepe. Um... So, you know, whether that was part of the plan, it could well have been, whether it was Pepe just feeling more involved or or whatever else, I don't quite know. But it was great to see from him. Yeah, and he's particularly good at that little movement when the ball goes to the left-hand touchline of just sort of holding back. So, you know, when the when the ball comes in, he'll just sort of let the the striker rush on and he'll wait around mm. the penalty spot for the cutback. He scored a couple of goals like that already for Arsenal. I think uh, against Manchester get, United. Yeah, United, yeah. 
And he's got another one that was identical. It might have been his first Arsenal goal, but I, f- I forget. Um, but, and he, and he nearly scored that one yesterday, and he nearly scored it at Bramall Lane in the league game early in the season. I don't know if you mm. remember a brilliant flowing counter-attack where he actually missed the ball uh, in an almost identical spot. He is really good at that little bit of movement inside the box. And yeah, I was encouraged. He was a bit narrow at times, a bit more central, looked more of a threat, uh, got on the ball, sort of faced the defenders up 1v1, Mm. And you know he is a, he is a big talent, and I don't think anyone who has had their doubts or their question marks over him has ever really said they don't think he can play. I mean, he can absolutely play, mm. uh, and I think Arteta again, Arteta when he was talking about him, and it's one of the things that's great about Arteta. Amy Lawrence made the point in her piece last night for Emery Emery just would not talk about individuals he would not go into any depth or colour about any player uh, but you can tell when he talks about Pepe he's sort of eulogising he's exciting he's enthused mm. and that's really nice because that's what we want isn't it we want to get excited about a player sure I think the interesting thing for me um, with regards to what Arteta said you know he talked about him uh, he said I think he's made a click and I think he realises what he needs to do for the team when we don't have the ball which I think Mm. is quite interesting because we're looking you can see that I think in the game I agree I agree Um, so that's an interesting part you know he said his defensive actions were incredible and then with the ball he gives us the creativity and flair that we need and big teams need. So I think there's a recognition from Arteta as well that that he is a player who, even if imperfect or even if he doesn't quite um, have the defensive focus that he might like, is still really important for a team that, you know... uh, Struggles for goals, I guess you would say, because our uh, Lacazette went another away day without a goal. Um, our best moments really came from from Pepe, uh, that shot that he had, that sh- uh, chance that he put wide. And of course, he scored the penalty um, after about 20 minutes. So, uh, What did you make of the penalty? I have to say, when I first saw it in real time, I was like, ooh. I feel it's very soft. It does, but then I thought about it. It's like if 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 a player goes in with that kind of a foul on the halfway line, and the referee gives a free kick, nobody says a word. Absolutely, just go, yeah, that's very true. It's a free kick. So if it's yeah. the same thing and it's inside the box, then it's a penalty. It's a penalty. Yeah, yeah, you know it is. I you know I suppose because the punishment is harsher because you're giving a penalty away, it, it feels a bit more soft. But if it's the letter of the law, if it's a foul. Then, then you know it's a it's a penalty. So I I agree. I think I suppose the respect in which it's soft in that is that it's a particularly bad decision from a defender. I mean, mm. they sort of gave it to us for nothing. Uh, and you know, I don't doubt Lacazette kind of helped nudge the referee's mind in a certain direction. But I mean, it it, it was a foul. So and a really good penalty, I thought from Pepe. Yeah, and look, I suppose. The thing that I would say there is that you know we've been we've been the 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 generous benefactor towards other teams when it comes to giving away really silly penalties and soft penalties. You know what I mean? So it's not be uh, beyond the realms of possibility that other teams have players who make rash decisions or just sort of go in a little bit over the top um, and provide us with a chance. Yes, I thought the penalty was good. I felt really confident when he stepped up. I just feel so confident when he takes penalties. I know he had a really good um, uh, penalty scoring record at Lille, didn't he? Because we heard about how many of his goals came from the penalty spot. You still have to score mm-hmm. them. Still have to step up there and score them. And, and uh, you know, I think for me, he's the guy who gives me the most reassurance when I see him standing over a penalty. 
I think it's just because he's so ice cool, isn't he? I mean, even when it hit the net, he barely mm. blinked. Um, yeah, sort of shades of Lauren almost in how r- relaxed and chilled yeah, out. Yeah, I, I, I like that. I like that, yeah. though. I like a guy who's like his job a is killer. to score. Yeah, but his job is you're 20 minutes into a game. Your job is to put the ball in the back of the net with a penalty. People expect you to do that. People expect you to score. Mm. Like what? You're not going to go running off to the fucking corner flag like a kind of Harry Kane type guy, you know, yeah, yeah. where every goal is just like, look at me, look at me, look at me. This is this is the job that he had to do. He did the job. It was like, good, I did it. There's still like 70 minutes of this game to go. I mm. much mm. prefer that to somebody who over celebrates, you know, goals um, and, and what have you. People said he didn't look happy. But, you know, I'm sure he's happy at the end of the game. Sure he's happy yeah, at the I, end of the game. I wouldn't be worried about whether or not he was happy. I mean, he yeah. just seemed incredibly professional, I suppose, and incredibly focused in that moment. Um, and it was a, 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 a good penalty. I mean, those ones are difficult to save, low into the corner. He strikes mm. the ball really well, you know. He certainly does. Okay, so we move into the the second By the half. way, Go on. Just, uh, just speaking of striking the ball well and good set pieces... As much as I was positive about Joe Willock, shout out to him for one of the worst corners I've ever seen in my life. Yes, but didn't it didn't <laughs> it lead to the um, didn't it lead to the penalty? Because the ball it, came back same, out. The same bit of play. I'm oh, he was playing sure. the long game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm almost sure that 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 it was. I can go I mean, back I and guess watch. It, it definitely led to the penalty in some respect. I mean, butterfly effect, if nothing else. <laughs> so he knew by taking that penalty, he, it led to the Danny Ceballos stoppage time winner. Actually, that 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 corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, second half. I think Sheffield United were obviously a bit more in the game. We we had the injury to David Luiz, um, which happened quite early, so it needed a little bit of a, a, a rejig in terms of personnel anyway. Rob Holding came on for for Luiz. Um, there were some moments, weren't there, where Sheffield United were dangerous. They had the ball in the back of the net. It was um, disallowed. Their second goal of the day, disallowed for for offside. Um, yeah, which I mean... Was nice. we- we didn't really mention the sort of early storm we had to weather yeah. set pieces, uh, which was kind of, I don't know about you, made me feel almost nostalgic. It was sort of like proper old school Arsenal away in the north struggling to deal with set mm. pieces. Yeah, seen that movie before, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, look, it, it, it was a, a bit more of a battle in the second half. Um yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I think there was one really good chance for Basham, maybe. Uh, there was a cross came in. We didn't close down the cross well enough. And I don't know that we, you know, picked up the men well enough. He got between a couple of defenders and, and headed wide. So I'm just looking at that corner again. I'm, yeah, I'm almost sure that this is where it comes from. Sorry, I'm just... Boop, no, boop, no boop. worries. I'm watching it here. Here comes the cross, gets headed out. Anyway, look, that's irrelevant. Um, what was I talking about? It, uh, Sheffield United versus Arsenal. Oh, yes, I think up. Yes, of course. Yeah. Um, I don't know where we were up to in the chronology of the game. I guess we 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 were talking about the second half and how... Oh, it was the, a bit of a battle and then there were changes made, weren't there? Yeah, and actually Sheffield United, they sort of did turn it up a little bit. I, I don't know how you feel about this. I mean, I saw Arsenal's defenders 
well, partly because I was watching it through the prism of Steve McManaman's sort of depression. But, like, it, he was very down on the Arsenal central defenders and kind of like, you know, there's so much vulnerability there. Mm. But I think that actually, maybe maybe it's just because we won and maybe I'm wrong, but I thought we sort of weathered the storm when we had to relatively well. It's not easy to kind of deal with ball into the box after ball into the box. And I thought, and it's not something you face all the time, despite mm. this sort of characterization. And I thought that actually, you know, they kept saying, oh, well, you know, they've got weak links in there, Mustafi. I mean, Mustafi's pretty good in the air. I, yeah, I have, to, I have to give him some credit because he won a lot of headers, won a lot of yeah. aerial duels yesterday. And when you consider the amount that we appeared to have lost, um, <laughs> that, that yeah. sort of reflects well on him there, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I think... Uh, if you look at um, what's the guy's name, McBurney, um, mm. sort of like weekend a, at McBurney's, weekend at McBurney's, like a woolly Peter Crouch kind of guy, isn't he? You know, <laughs> yeah. um, you know he is he is tall, and they had the the guy who was able to throw, put the long throws in, and those are difficult to deal with. Um, yeah, I mean, you would make. I said it in the blog today. Like Arsenal are not the only team to find it difficult to deal with a bombardment of long balls into big men you know mm, mm. it's it's not uh, it's not unique to us um it, it feels a bit more acute because like you say we've seen it before and we've watched that movie before particularly when we go up north and, and the guys sling the balls They're in but red and white as yeah, well yeah you know exactly i mean i think i think they were dangerous but i also think we competed pretty well not always, but for the most part, I think we competed pretty well um, when it came to to the delivery that they put in. You know, the the, the corners, they had a, quite a lot of corners. So, yeah, it wasn't... Yeah. Go on. Maybe there's that slightly roasted to Spectacles, given that we sort of got away with it. But I do think that, um, we, yeah, we've been worse in, in those duels in the past. And uh, I was encouraged by that. I mean, saying that, the goal that they scored, you know, we didn't cover ourselves in glory. No, we didn't, but it was bizarre, I think, that goal. When I look back at the passage of play, because we had the ball up in their box and, and Eddie Nketiah was being challenged and he just held on to the ball. He used his strength to to kind of... Um, I don't oh, think... is this the one where he kind of backed into the guy? Yeah, the guy was trying to... Yeah, the guy was trying to tackle him and the guy basically bounced off Eddie and yeah, Eddie kept the ball. and that was a crazy decision. And somehow they got a free kick for it, which I thought was really strange. Then there was the, the Xhaka bit in midfield where, you know, he had... You know, I think he, he was... Um, what's What way do I want to put this? Because I thought Xhaka was pretty good overall. I also thought that... Uh, he has added some real structure to our midfield, um, mm-hmm. some physical presence to our midfield and experience to our midfield. So I'm not going to like absolutely slate the guy or anything like it, but it reminded me, do you remember, was it the start of Emery's first season? Mm-hmm. When, like in the in the opening four or five weeks, Xhaka he made... He was on a rampage. Yeah. Was, yeah. <laughs> Every time he gave the ball away, the opposition seemed to score. Like, he just yeah. had this run of really bad luck where, you know, he could give the ball away and it could lead to, I don't know, a throw-in down the other end and somehow they would score from that, you know? And I was it's a look- terrible affliction. Yeah. One that also struck Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain at a point in his Arsenal career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, I, you know, it just I was looking at that going, oh, we should have done better with that. I hope that doesn't come back to bite us in the arse. And then they get the throw-in. And I have to... I have to uh, 
I have to, I, in my player ratings, I was quite harsh on Kolasinac for this incident. And I still think he was a little bit clumsy. Uh, right. But I also think he didn't really have a great deal of time to react. And Rob Holding went sailing through the air, <laughs> launched himself at the ball like he'd read it all the way. This is going to be one of those, you're going to head it miles out and just <laughs> missed it completely. So I yeah. think I think we have to look at, at Holding's role in that goal. I, th- I still think Kolasinac was a little bit clumsy, but considering that he must have looked at that and thought, well, Rob's got it. That's going to be fine. They're like, yeah. oh, fuck. And he Rob's kicked it off. Rob's 10 feet in the air. Yeah. He's, he's cleared for the landing. He's, he's flown up there. And yeah, I, I guess between Rob Holding and Kolasinac, there was about 0.001 seconds, wasn't there, for yeah. him to sort of yeah. deal with that. So, I mean, yes, it was a little bit clumsy, but a bit of misfortune as well. Mm. I mean, communication maybe was a slight issue too, but... Um, and I have to say, what minute was that that they scored? 87, something like that. I mean, I really felt not good about that. I was Because, you know, Sheffield United had probably deserved something. And I did think that when they got the equaliser, I was like, ah, well, we'll I imagine we'll be losing this in extra time then, mm. was well, sort of my reaction. Yeah, I mean, the uh, the fact that they had a, like some corners and what have you after they scored and put a bit of pressure on us, I was like, oh, oh, this is all set up for one of those like a like weekend at McBurney's heading one in uh, mm. while while the Arsenal defenders do the impression of corpses. Um, you know, it, it, it felt sort of inevitable, and then, and then, you know, we we fashioned this we fashioned this winning goal. Um, can we give some props to Bakayo Saka, who who maybe wasn't as eye catching in this game as he has been in in some of the previous games, but in the ninety whatever the ninety first minute of the fourth game that he's played in the last ten days, is he the only guy to have played all four games? Um, maybe Mustafi. Mustafi as well. Yeah, fair enough. Um, oh, yes, even so, you know, to to be to to have the energy, to have the drive, to beat some men in midfield. He set Eddie uh, through. He was looking for the, the the pass back himself, but I think Enkedia picked the right ball to Pepe. Pepe bamboozled the defender with a with a cutback that he knew wasn't going to come off, and would therefore lay the ball into the path of Danny Ceballos, based mm. on, of course, Joe Willock's corner. Uh, Let's not forget to give credit to Joe Willock. Got to give Joe pre 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 assist (laughs) for Joe Willock there. And do you know what my favourite thing about the Sabias goal is? Is the Sheffield United defender could be pushing it back now. Could be is it Stevens? Stevens on the left side could be. Um, as the ball goes through, he just kind of is like, I'm going to stop and hope that somebody else does it. I'm just going to stop because I'm tired. <laughs> I just, I'm just, i just going to look at this and hope. I'm going to look yeah. and hope that somebody sticks a leg out and I can go. He puts his arms out a bit as if to be like, as if to scare Sebastian. <laughs> and Sebastian just sort of walks past him. I mean, we know Sebastian doesn't really go above a walk in terms of speed. Uh, and he strolls past yeah. Stevens. 
And I have to say, I think the goalkeeper did us a few favours as well, left a nice big gap at that near post. But a cool finish from Ceballos. A, a good counter-attack, actually. And we, and we have players, and we certainly did at that point in time in the game, who can counter-attack. I mean, Saka, you mentioned, had that little burst. Pepe. I actually thought Nketiah added quite a lot in that respect when he came on, a bit of danger, someone who could sort of run, unlike Lacazette, unfortunately, at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I've got a question about Nketiah in part two, so we'll, we'll make maybe do okay, that we'll, but yeah we'll come on to that but yeah yeah i, uh, yeah, I, I, I thought i mean I, I was amazed i'll be honest i was watching on i was streaming bt sports and so i was about a minute behind real time and i happened to look at twitter um to sort of get a reaction to arsenal being on the ropes at the back or something mm. and i saw someone had tweeted goal 2-1 arsenal and i was like this must be a mistake <laughs> because <laughs> at that point in the game it was so against the run of play i was like i cannot imagine and because it said Ceballos as well, I was like, I cannot imagine a situation where one of our central midfielders is in the box to mm. score that goal. And actually, I, I then watched it unfurl, sort of knowing what happened. And credit to Ceballos, I mean, I sort of took the mickey out of his running then, but he is very, very deep at the start of that move. He's on the edge of his own box, pretty much. His own penalty area when Saka gets it and beats his man. And he is there to put it away. So fair play to him for, for making the sprint and being up there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and it, it just felt so nice didn't it you know not only did we win the game or did it feel like a goal that was going to win us the game you know when you've conceded in your not the previous game but the game before that you've conceded a 95th minute uh, goal which has lost you the game Mm. that feeling turned around is really nice yes it is exceptionally nice Mm. and you know (laughs) maybe it is a bit cruel of Sheffield United but I don't think we care and we've experienced being on the end of that ourselves and now it's our turn to Mm. enjoy it absolutely Uh, and and, you know not an insignificant result at all to be in an FA Cup semi-final is a big deal I mean granted the person I'm most annoyed with today is uh, Who's the fellow who played up front for Newcastle who missed from about six yards? I don't know, and I didn't see any of that game. So what happened? Uh, so it was 1-0 to Man City at half-time. Uh, uh, Dwight Gale is who I'm thinking of. And Newcastle came out after this half-time whistle and were a little bit better. And Alan St. Max Mann, with about 20 minutes to go, went down the right-hand side, pulled a ball across sort of just literally to about the six-yard box, an open goal, and Dwight Gale managed to side-foot it over the bar. Uh, and Man City promptly went up the other end and scored and secured wow. that progression. Yeah. Okay, Don't I, I rely think, on Dwight Gale. Well, I think City probably could have just turned it up again, couldn't they, if they did feel like they that, tried, yeah. you know? So, I mean, how to what degree is your excitement about being in the FA Cup semi-final tempered by the draw? Um... Like we're underdogs. So, you know, fuck it. What have we got to lose apart from an FA Cup semi-final? You know what I mean? But the expectation levels are low. We've lost uh, to City twice already this season. And less painful probably to lose to City than to lose to either Manchester United or Chelsea, I would say. Um, and, And yeah, I mean, look, they clearly have the better of us, don't they, based on recent encounters. But... Mm. We all remember 2017, the FA Cup semi-final. We beat them there. You you think of the FA Cup final that Manchester City played against Wigan. You know, cup football can... It's cup football. ...can throw up some surprises. And look, if we lose to Man City, it's not that I'm going to like it, but I prefer Man City to, to win the FA Cup than either Chelsea or Manchester United. 
mm. uh, simply because I can just sort of compartmentalize their victories, whereas I don't want Lampard to win a trophy. I don't want Solskjaer to win a trophy. Uh, sure. You know, so case or ass or I, you just never know what's going to happen uh, in a cup semi-final. So bring it on, I say. And, yeah, and also I'm enjoying sort of the sort of uh, frenetic fixture list. I'm enjoying the fact that football keeps on coming and, you know, let's have a couple more games, hopefully, in this little mini-season. Yeah. All right. Well, look, uh, unless there's anything else, can we talk just one more moment about McManaman? Of course. Right at the end, when Sabayos got fouled, like the guy won a header, but he kicked Sabayos in the where he left his studs on Sabayos' yeah, stomach and chest. And McManaman's going, oh, there's nothing in that. There's not, there's not, what, what's going on? Why is he giving a free kick there? What's going on? I can't believe it. Can't believe it. <laughs> but then they show the replay, which clearly shows the studs in his chest, and he sort of has to address it to an extent. He goes, yeah, that might have been like whatever, but it's still, it's still not a foul. <laughs> it's just this ridiculousness of, okay, your first impression of an incident, we can mm. take that. But if the evidence shows you that you were wrong, like, just say you were wrong. You don't want him on a jury, do you? Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> when they start bringing out the murder weapon and showing you CCTV footage of the guy being there on the night, and he's like, yeah, yeah maybe. <laughs> Anyway. Wow. Sorry, that was as painful for everyone's ears as listening to Steve McManaman actually was in real time. Well, look, I'm sure they will get over it. Make yourselves a cup of tea, cup of coffee, whatever you need to do. We're going to take a break. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two. Uh where we answer questions. That's what it is. I was trying to figure out what we do in part two. I thought it might be interpretive dance. But no, we answer questions that you send to us on, twi- on Twitter, at GunnerBlog and at ArsBlog. Also, oh, fuck. No, not again. <laughs> I forgot. Uh, Zuckerberg's the- going to be furious with you. What are we going to tell Zuckerberg? Shit. 
Just keep quiet. Maybe no one will notice. Okay. Something, something, something. Facebook. <clears throat> and also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Um, right. Do you want to go first or will I go first or? I'll go first. Go on then. There's some sort of lorry outside. It's making me nostalgic as well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there's a couple of variations on a theme here, so I'm going to ask two questions. One is from Joe Nobody, who says, Do you think three at the back with wingbacks is here to stay? Seems to benefit Pepe, but means we depend more on our shaky defenders. And then uh, Aaron Rolls says, I've been reading that Saliba has been playing in a back three while in France. Do you think three at the back is potentially here to stay or just a needs must with the current players we have? Good question. I mean, I don't... It's hard to know, isn't it? Because, you know, for the for the first part of his um, time at the club, Arteta was pretty wedded to to a back four, at least a starting, yeah. nominal starting back four. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you looked at the way that the team set up, as you mentioned earlier, you could you could say that it was potentially a three. We, we talked about Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Um, in those opening couple of games, he was, you know, being pushed in as a, an auxiliary midfielder, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of three at the back with an extra man in midfield and what have you. Look, we've said this before, like three at the back is not fundamentally a a defensive or negative setup. No. You know, Barcelona play with three at the back and nobody would really accuse them or very often played with three at the back and nobody would accuse them of, of not, uh, being an attacking team or or lacking attacking intent, when you look at the defenders that we have at the club right now, it's very difficult to pick a perfect duo, isn't it? Yeah, I you know, agree. where is the balanced duo in that? Um, Our best duo is Luisa Mustafi. That's all we need to say. Well, there you go, and that probably tells you why there's been a, a little bit of a change in 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 outlook in that regard. So it might be an, uh, uh, a measure of necessity just at this mm. moment in time, particularly when we came off the back of two two defeats. Um, I, I think it helps us play out as well because, you know, it, it, it enables us to include players in that back three who maybe are a little bit more technically able, like Louise, who is com- more comfortable in it than a two. It gives you different routes out. I think with Shaka providing a bit of structure at the base of midfield. He, you know, he's often available, often an option. I I like aspects of it a lot. And it is true, by the way, about William Saliba, that the majority of his football has been played in a three. I don't know if that will be a factor yeah. at Arsenal. But I wonder been... what our plan for him is, though. I mean, is it mm. to bring him in and for him to be... I know it's, it's, um, it's very, very early to make that kind of comparison because... We just haven't seen him, and it's a lot to place on a 19-year-old. But is he going to be that defender in a back four around whom the other things can can sort of fit in? You know what I mean? Mm. Mm. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, we, we, we'll have to wait and see. Um, but right at this but moment could, in time... Could- Go on. Yeah, exactly. You could bed him in in a three, say, maybe. I mean, if it's something he's more accustomed to mm. and then make that transition. I mean, as we say, he is he is young and he's not really been tested at, at that level, at the Premier League level. I mean, yeah, it, it, I'm trying to think of the centre-halves that we've got and what makes most sense. And I do think that there are players... It's not just the centre-halves. If you look at the wing-backs, I think it really helps them as well. 
Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if we saw something like this, certainly until the end of the season. Mm. Uh, and then maybe Arteta will kind of go back to the drawing board. I mean, I don't think this was his plan A. I don't think he came into the restart football thinking, I imagine it'll be three at the back, because, uh, uh, you know, uh, he didn't start like that. But it did occur to me that maybe he had it in mind for Sheffield United and that that's why he played it in the match before against Southampton, because he was looking at the way Sheffield United play and trying to match them up. Mm. Um, that might be an issue, but... Yeah, I, I think... Uh, I don't know, Andrew, actually. Fair enough. It's a classic I mean, James. Classic James. I, I would like to see more of it because I think it's been more encouraging than the four since the restart. But we looked pretty good in a four before the break, so... You know. Yeah, look, I think, I think as well we have to take into account that we have just played four games away from home. Very true. In 10 days or whatever it is, or 11 days, however many. And we needed those results. Yeah, we needed those results. And I think, you know, there's an element of, of, you know, we've had to travel. So we've had to go to, what were our games? Uh, Manchester. We had to go to Brighton. Brighton. We had to go to Southampton. You know, not massive trips. And then we had to go to to Sheffield. I mean, I think you could see yesterday that things are strange because, um, you know, the Arsenal players were entering the pitch from the stand. So were they getting, you know, the dressing rooms uh, at Sheffield United probably weren't sufficient for social distancing. So they were maybe using corporate boxes or whatever it might have been. You know, his dressing rooms. Everything is a bit strange. Everything is a bit kind of up in the air at the moment. Uh, and I think all those other, if you want to call them soft factors or, or, or auxiliary factors, have to be taken into account as well. Mm-hmm. You know, fatigue, uh, injuries. You know, we've, we've lost players to injury in, in every game as well. Um, so there are certain things. So maybe just um, playing with that back three gives us a bit more of a platform um, and the thing about it is, as well as that, you know, if you need to, you can shift to a back four if you're chasing a game or you need to chase a game. So, like, I've got no problem with it at the moment, particularly given that we've won our last two games um, using that back three. So, mm, absolutely. Um, Your question? We touched on this a little bit earlier, but Sean Adams, who's at Sean Adams 13, says, I was a bit alarmed with how we coped with long balls into the box yesterday. I had flashbacks to games versus Stoke City. Why do you think we struggle more than most with that? with that tactic regardless of our personnel so just to expand on what we said a bit earlier well yeah I mean I sort of made the counterpoint that I think a lot of teams would have struggled and actually we we didn't do that badly I do think that it is just an increasingly infrequent thing for a team to have to deal with and and consequently I think teams are generally less prepared Mm. um but also, I mean, centre-half is not where the squad is at its strongest. I mean, Mustafi is very good in the air, but we talked about Rob Holding missing that big header. He generally is decent in the air, but that was a, an obvious exception. Louise, mm. you never quite know what you're going to get. I also feel that probably Arteta's focus isn't on preparation. I mean, I would say on set pieces, there were some real dicey moments and mismatches where play- people were allowed to run off players I mean there was one occasion where someone ran off Pepe very easily another occasion someone ran off Ceballos and if you look at Man City and Guardiola's teams they're not great on defending set pieces either they just don't concede many Mm. and I do wonder if maybe Arteta shares that sort of focus where he's much more concerned about what we do with the ball than what we do without it at dead balls um 
But yeah, look, clearly it's an area we could improve. I think that the real test is can we dominate possession and be a proactive team that sort of controls the amount of times our opponent is able to get into our territory and win these free kicks and win these corners. I think that will actually be how Arteta looks to resolve this rather than drilling corners for mm. hours on end. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's two things that occur to me um, and I can only remember one of them now. That's because my brain is a bit frazzled this morning. The first sure. thing is, yeah, just going, sorry, going back to what you were talking about in terms of organisation, they were um, going on about how Ceballos was the one marking McBurney uh, mm. at one point, and maybe that's not the best defensive organisation. Maybe it's to do with the, the zonal setup or whatever it might be. Your, your central defenders are, are in certain positions. Um, I think the other thing that really occurs to me is just the lack of... Um, we're, we're we're not necessarily a big team. We're not mm-hmm. a big team, and I think when when you're a team like Sheffield United, when you've got big players, when you've got big strikers and big central defenders, and you're playing a team like Arsenal, does it not make sense to try and make some uh, uh, take advantage of that? You know, of course, by putting men in the box. So, you know, I think one of the things people have talked about this season is is um, you know the kind of football that Sheffield United have been playing. That, yeah. You know, that they've been a really good uh, team without being your classic uh, up and under Stoke kind of outfit, no. you know. But I think probably their approach to the game is tailored a little bit on the fact that we don't have a central defender above six foot, you know. Yeah. Um, so that that's part of it. So when you bring in somebody like Saliba, who is what? Uh, six three, six three, something, something like that. You bring in a defender who obviously couldn't play yesterday in, in Pablo Marie, who's you know six three, six four, whatever he might be. It shows that you're trying to address that particular area of the pitch uh, and that particular weakness, if you want to call it that. But I just think teams um, that that lack something in terms of size can be gotten at a bit. So uh, that would mm. be my. My two cents on that particular one. That's a very good point. Um, T Marks on Twitter at TJG Marks says, Do we agree that Arteta should be building his team around Pepe and Saka? And what positions would you like to see them in? Yes. I mean, if you're, if you're talking about players for the future, then uh, Pepe and Saka are two of the outstanding candidates, aren't they? You know, mm. Pepe's, what, 24, and Saka, as we know, is, is still only 18. So um, I think we're already seeing, to an extent, that Arteta is not necessarily building his team around Saka, but is but views Saka as an integral part of his team. Yes, you know? for sure. He started every game since the lockdown. Um, and that tells you that tells you something about what Arteta thinks of him uh, and also about how good... He is. What position do I want to see him play? I mean, look, we know where Pepe plays. Um, Saka, like if you'd asked me a couple of weeks ago, I would have said, yeah, on the left side of a front three, because that's where we've seen him be the most effective. Mm. But I think he can do a job in other areas of the pitch. And I think he can be perhaps more than just a a wide forward. Um, You know, he's got the intelligence... Um, and an awareness on the ball f- uh, to to hurt teams and and be effective from central areas as well. So he's not one dimensional in, in in terms of you know where he needs to play and what he can do and where he can deliver from. So 
you know, I'm open to it. I'm not going to be definitive. I, it's too hard or too difficult really to say, but but certainly, yes, um, those are two players who've got to be a big part of our future. I, I agree. And I would, if I had to take a punt, I would say maybe the positions they were in yesterday, kind of right and left, left wing respectively. But it was interesting to see an Arsenal team without Pierre and Aubameyang in it and see those guys mm. on the flanks. And I... I I sort of really feel like that is probably the likelihood in terms of what we might be seeing next season, or if if not next season, the one after, certainly. Um, and yeah, I kind of found that relatively encouraging because I do think those are two young players who, you know, you can have as kind of building blocks in this team and who do offer a lot going forward. And yes, they offered plenty going in the other direction as well. But what did you make of uh, Aubameyang on the sidelines, by the way? I mean, he was staring out Arteta, wasn't he, trying to get on the field? Well, that's what they said. That's what they said. I mean, I think uh, Aubameyang probably looked at that situation and saw Arsenal 1-0 up going into the last 10 minutes and thought, well... I'm not really needed here. This is a this is a game that if we can see it out, it means I've got a you know a rest under my belt and I can mm. come back fresh for the next game. So, you know, it's not that I wouldn't believe a fucking word out of the mouths of the BT guys, but I strongly disbelieve the narrative that they were creating. Was he looking at uh, Arteta when we saw him, or was he looking at the match? You know, it's yeah, possibly. It's possibly. just you know, I think any player wants to get on. Most players, think, yeah. anyway, want want to get on, and even if it's a run out for the last ten fifteen minutes, but I don't I don't see it as being like a, uh, like a big contentious issue or anything like that. I don't think he was going to go off in a big strop, you know. I think if if the game had gone to extra time, he would have come on. No, I just think he wanted to play. And by the way. Arteta got it absolutely spot on, didn't he? Because he kept that third substitution opportunity and it meant that when Arsenal went ahead, mm. he could bring on Socrates to sh- help shore things up a little bit at the back, uh, put an extra centre-half in there. So, fair play. I mean, we've criticised Arteta when his substitutions haven't worked out, but yesterday I thought Nketiah's arrival was timely and then he made the right decision on Aubameyang. OK. We have got a question here from the Discord from 1.76 Acres who says, since he's rapidly establishing himself as is perhaps our most important player. What are the repercussions if Bukayo Saka won't sign a new contract for the team and for management? How much do we get for him if we have to sell? How does this affect our ability to keep other young players in the fold? And does anyone lose their job over a failure such as this? Well, I think I think if you listen to Mikel Arteta's press conference and the way he talks about Saka's potential new deal I do think there is more confidence internally about that deal than say the Aubameyang one Um, I think that Arsenal feel that they have a good proposition to offer Saka and you know in terms of not just obviously his pay packet but also his playing time his importance to the team and as we said Arteta sort of couldn't really be making that more clear in terms Mm. of how highly he values him if for some reason that doesn't come off and I think you know it needs to be soon, to be honest, that we find out definitively about that. Uh, Arsenal have no choice, really, but to sell Saka in the next transfer window because you cannot allow an asset, I think, of, of that calibre to go for a, a tribunal-determined compensation fee. I think that would be uh, pretty disastrous. Um, and we've sort of suffered by letting players go for nothing. Even if it wasn't quite nothing in this respect, I think it would be 
a terrible decision. Mm. So, I mean, there is a time pressure here. How long is it until the transfer window opens? Probably a matter of weeks at this stage. Mm. Um, Do we know yet what the... The no, story I is. don't think. I don't think. Uh, for certainly from conversation I've been having with agents, they don't seem ent- entirely clear on how the window is going to function. Mm. Um, but the season ends in less than a month, so you know it's not a lot of time. I'm sure Arsenal would like to tie something up and announce something before then, uh, and fingers crossed they do because I just have the sense that people are sort of relatively philosophical about some of the. Other players in the squad, you know, if Aubameyang doesn't want to stay, I think people can kind of understand the reasons that we might lose someone like that. Mm. Uh, even Genduzi, you know, if, if he's sold, I think people can make their peace with it. Um, I think in the case of Saka, it's very different, isn't it? And people would be absolutely uh, up in arms if he went. And justifiably so, I think. We, mm. we should be able to keep that player. Should someone lose their job over it if it doesn't happen? Maybe. I mean, it's a really interesting question, that, because it depends. There's all sorts of ways in which Arsenal's contracts are sort of uh, handled. I mean, the, the, the primary negotiator and the people that people have contact with is Hasfami. I mean, do we uh, know? OK, because we've got some questions here. We've got some uh, one on the, the Discord from Lee Sadler, who says, because um, he references the news that we were set to lose um, a young striker called uh, following Balagoon this summer. Mm-hmm. He said, should we not really be asking questions of Husfami and what he actually does? I can understand a talented youth player seeing a difficult route to the first team and deciding to move on, but we don't really seem to be able to negotiate contracts. Hopefully we have some sense and put a buyback option in the deal when we let him go. And Lewis Young, who's at Lewis Young 13 on Twitter, says, with Balagoon the latest in a long line of contract debacles, at what point do we scrutinise the expertise and competence of contracts ex- expert Hosfami. Uh, so, do we know what the process is? Because um, my understanding would be that Fami would be mandated by the board if you like to negotiate within certain terms, but ultimately, you know, the, 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 the scope of those negotiations would be decided higher above again by Raul Sanyehi. Yes. I mean, that is absolutely right. So Huss basically gets told what he can go to, but the reason that, that he is incredibly highly valued by our Arsenal is that he is a tough negotiator so so, Rousey, so yeah, tough he, he doesn't give anybody any contracts and we don't have to pay anybody any money brilliant yeah and they love that but <laughs> no so if Raul says to him you know you can go up to 50 he's not the kind of guy who's that's his opening offer and he does look to save the club money wherever he can and that can sometimes rub agents up the wrong way I'm sure he would contend he's just doing his job you know and and I think he is well thought of I mean certainly at Team Sky he was incredibly highly regarded and I think he's a very smart person he's not in charge he is leading the negotiations if Mm. you see what I mean so it depends how you uh, sort of characterise it maybe you could say the negotiating style that Arsenal have is problematic maybe they do look to kind of scrimp and save on certain things when they could be uh, a little bit more generous in some regards Mm. you know and if you look at the the fact that they ask for the wage cut and things like that I mean that's something that agents haven't necessarily taken massively kindly to Um, 
But the parameters in which he operates are set by the sort of general executive committee and the head of football in Rousson. Yeah. So it, it, it is an interesting one. It's one we're not party to. But like I say, I think there is, inc- I think there is increasing confidence that the Saka one is, is doable. Um, and that is a mighty relief because, mm. uh, uh, yeah, it doesn't really bear think about it. You know, when we talk about what's positive and optimistic at Arsenal at the moment, um, it is that core of young players, isn't it? It is, yeah. you know, th- those academy kids. And he is the brightest star among them, P- probably by some way. I mean, you've got Martinelli, but obviously he was a signing from elsewhere and he's injured at the moment as well. So I just think he is kind of key to this rebuild mm. and we we desperately need to keep him. Fair enough. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think if, um, you know, if we lose Saka without him signing a new deal, uh, the guy who is in charge of football matters at the football club should be fired because this is a generational talent. This is a, this is a kid we could and should have tied down long before now. So I, I will accept no excuses whatsoever over this one. I'm hoping, you know, that the positive noises Mikel Arteta have made are, are, um, sort of the build-up or the lead-up to to good news, you know. Mm. Um, he'll look at yeah. I mean, he'll be most pissed off if they're not because a he values the player enormously and he'll look a little bit foolish. So yeah, I, I really really hope that that is the case. Uh, just a lot of people have asked. Do you have any thoughts on Balogun? Well, I suppose it's a you know. He's one of those young talents that has scored a lot of goals uh, at youth level and people are very excited about him and his potential. Um, I I can't pretend to be an expert in him and and what he's going to do. It feels like certainly a deal that we should put in a a buyback clause into Mm -hmm. Um, and and most definitely a a sell-on clause. And I've seen people talk about how Balagoon's agent is the same as Saka's agent, uh, Mm. which is true. And that is something that we, you know, might have concerns over. But also, uh, it's the same agent uh, as Reese Nelson and the same Mm. agent as Eddie Nketiah. Nketiah, So we have had positive dealings with that agent as well. Um, Balagoon, I don't know, maybe he's just at a point where he feels like he needs to make um, a step forward in terms of playing regular first-team football. It might not be, you know, at Premier League level. It might be championship. I know there was a um, championship team interested in him in January, wasn't there? And we turned Brentford, down at Brentford. Yeah, yeah you know. Um, so, look, it's one of those. Like, he could be a player that we regret, or he could be another Arturo Lupoli who scored a lot of goals at youth level and never quite made the grade. So I, I don't know. I mean, I can't say it's always disappointing when, when one of the, the highly rated young talents at the club um, looks set to depart. Uh, I know George Bird did a piece for Arsblog News today and his headline was, it would be a major disappointment if Balagoon was to leave. Mm. Um, but maybe they can't give him the assurances that he wants over his involvement in, in the first team right now. So I don't know. The, the problem he's got is the fact that Eddie Nketiah and Gabriel Martinelli are in front of him, isn't it? And they are mm. young guys competing for similar spots in the squad, and it's created a bit of a 
a bottleneck. And he's not really been involved this season. I mean, I think he's been called up once to the senior team. Uh, and, you know, he personally, I think he wanted more than that. And what can you do? I mean, sometimes people have cited Serge Gnabry, and I understand yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And there's another one, is it Daniel Marlin, who, who left yeah. us and is doing pretty well with the Dutch national team now. Yeah, it would be frustrating and a shame, but I, like you, hope that, well, speaking of... Contracts. ...and Huss family and yeah, contracts, yeah. whatever deal we hammer out protects us and offers us some mitigation in the circumstance. It Again, as with Saka, it's not someone you can allow to run their contract down. He is already an asset. I think Brentford offered £5 million or something mm. back in January... Uh, and I think there will be a market for Balogun, not just in the UK, but abroad too. So hopefully, yeah, we protect ourselves against him sort of becoming the next big thing and us looking very, very foolish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you look at some of the players that have left over the last number of years, young players that have left and gone on to do some pretty good things. We had a good crop of young players at the club that never really quite got the chance for one reason or another. You think about the Jeff, of course, and you know he's, he's had his injury problems, Benacer. Um What's his name? Malin, Danielle Malin. Um, mm. You know, so that's unfortunately... World Footballer of the Year, Rio Miachi, of yeah, course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, the, the Conemeister. Um, it is just one of the unfortunate things about having young players at a club is that some of them are going to go on and, and do well. Um, yeah, I mean, I saw that point being made elsewhere that when you have a good academy and a big academy that produces a lot of players, they aren't all going to go into your first team. And sometimes, mm. you know, there is a kind of inevitable fact that you will lose one or two who turn out very, very well. I think it's easier to swallow that if you make a decent amount of money on those players and continue to make money on them throughout their career with things like sell-on fees and, uh, and clauses like that. So, if Balogun has absolutely made it up his mind, let's hope they find a deal that is favourable. And and let's hope as well that Eddie Nketiah and Gabriel Martinelli continue to progress and develop and get the opportunities they need in order to do so, because th- that's the gamble that we're sort of taking. Yeah. Well, we have a question on Nketiah. It comes from the Discord from San Carico, who says, Morning, gents. Lacazette looks short of confidence, pace and imagination. In a pre-COVID peak, he could have been worth £50 million. Pounds. I'm not sure... I agree with that. Um, well, we did pay that for him. We did pay, point. but I mean, I don't know that he's, you know, yeah. I don't think he's been as bad for us as some people have said, but I don't know that his value would have increased a great deal um, in the pre-COVID world. He said, what is the minimum you would expect to move him on? And then he says, Eddie looked far superior in his all-round game. Well, I think Eddie has been good I wouldn't say he's been great. I'd say he's been good. Mm -hmm. And I think he's been superior to Lacazette in terms of his all-round offering and his goals offering, probably. Um, And I think it's telling that Lacazette played in the cup game to an extent, you know, I think Eddie Nketiah is going to play against Norwich, I would imagine, on Wednesday evening. And, you know, the fact that he's starting Premier League games kind of tells its own story. As for Lacazette, I don't know what we could get. And to that end, I think that really his major value to Arsenal may be in exchange because Mm. any agent that you speak to at the moment and most clubs are looking at situations and thinking if we can do swaps rather than having to buy and sell, that is more feasible and more amenable. And I know that in the past, swap deals were kind of, you know, pretty much 
championship manager only. Mm. Um, but I think we will see some in this market because I do think that there are players people want to move off their wage bill and there isn't huge amounts of cash to drop on transfer fees. So, you know, this is, you know, uh, sort of thinking on the top of my head, but Lacazette was wanted by Atletico Madrid at a certain point in time. Uh, could it be that he could be a chip in a move for someone like Thomas Partey? I don't know. That's that's speculation. But I do wonder if that might be his his best value to Arsenal. Mm, yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. I don't know what you get cash-wise for Lacazette. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't... I wouldn't really miss him if he were to go... You and know. if you were losing Aubameyang as well, let's just say Aubameyang's not going to sign a new mm. deal, the club decide they've got to cash in, would you go, well, we might as well get rid of Lacazette as well, or yep. would you feel obliged to keep an experienced striker around? I mean, I think you could you could bring in a more experienced striker, or you could maybe get in a striker around the... You know, if you're talking about Nketiah and if you're talking about Martinelli, you know, what if you were to get in a guy 23, 24, 25 years of age rather than, you know, just stick with a 29-year-old who really isn't doing it for us uh, and looks like, you know, he's struggling physically. Um, You know, he just doesn't look like he can do the running anymore. Mm. Mm. So, so yeah, I'd be, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be averse to just, you know, wiping the slate clean and going again. But again, it depends how how much um, we have in terms of resources available to us and, and what sort of money we're going to have to spend. Tell you what I did like um, about Eddie yesterday. I don't know if you noticed this, but there was a bit late in the game. There was a foul, maybe. I think he committed a foul on halfway. Right. And it was one of those where, you know, sometimes the players kind of do that. Yeah, yeah, give you a hand up or whatever. And he didn't. Didn't even look at the guy. Yes, I noticed that. Didn't look at him. I was like, he's going to put his hand out. Mm. And he didn't. Yeah, I I saw that too. And I thought to myself, I like that. Because also Eddie, you know, I know he's filled out a bit, but he's still a small guy, really, in the scheme of Premier League athletes. And I like that he's got that physical approach. Mm. Like, I'm going to put myself about and not apologise for it. Yeah, I enjoyed that. I like that. I like that element of his character, you know. Uh, he's still young, but, you know, he's not there to make friends with the opposition. He's there to, to hurt them. And I don't mean physically, but, you know, just in terms of um, w- what he wants to do on the pitch. So mm. I like that. Supremely confident, apparently, you know, really has so much self-belief. Mm. And I guess if you look at his journey and the fact that he was released by Chelsea when he was at a kind of fairly critical age, I think it was 14, 15 at the time, and the fact that he came back from that you know, and has made a success of himself shows you what sort of character he is. And yeah, listen, I really like what he's doing and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him play on on Wednesday. Uh, It's interesting, before we move on from this one, that one of the things Arteta has talked about uh, from the moment he came in is is this idea of, you know, buying in to what he's doing and changing the culture and having the right kind of attitude and the right kind of mindset to be an Arsenal player. And pretty quickly, he identified Eddie as as one of those players. Like, Mm -hmm. I agree with you. I don't think he's been brilliant for us. I think he's been good. He has scored some goals. But, you know, it seems clear that Arteta has seen something in him to prefer him to a very expensive signing 
from before lockdown and even after lockdown, you know, when you're looking at the pecking order there for that centre forward position, right now it's in Ketty number one and Lacazette number two. Yeah. So, absolutely. Mm. Is it your turn or my turn? Uh, I'm not sure, actually. Oh, on the Discord, Ben Mash. Mm-hmm. The question that is staring everyone in the face is what is happening with Emmy Martinez's eyebrows and are they the source of his excellent distribution powers? Now, I hadn't noticed this, but I think we need to go back and look at Emmy Martinez's eyebrows. Have they jumped out at you at all? No, they haven't really, but I'm going to have a look now. They are full. Do you know what I mean? They uh, They are bristling eyebrows. Um, Maybe he's using some sort of serum. They look... I'm just looking at pictures here. I mean, they just look like fairly normal eyebrows to me. Mm, mm. But maybe maybe that's because you're not seeing him in the flesh. And if you did, maybe you would sort of come under the spell of the eyebrows. Maybe. Maybe. It, is it because he's got slightly dyed fair hair and then it makes his eyebrows stand out more accordingly. Maybe so, but I mean I don't think I don't think his eyebrows are are in any way interesting. Right. Well then what is the source of his brilliant kicking the ball out powers? Because it's got to be something. It can't be his training or his talent. It has to be his eyebrows, his nose, his fingernails. It's a mystery. We'll have to we'll have to get to that again. <laughs> We'll have to, you know, discover it at some point in, in the future. We know it's not his eyebrows because there's nothing going on there to give him okay. superpowers. What do you think of him on the ball, by the way? Are you, are you enjoying it? Do you yeah, think yeah. Too Look, much of the people in front of him. There were a couple of times yesterday where <laughs> I felt like he he was as cu- cool as a cucumber, and he played a couple of passes to defenders who weren't quite as cool um, because they were being. Uh, chased down and closed down by Sheffield United players. I think generally we played it out from the back pretty well, to be mm-hmm. honest. Um, there were a couple of moments where maybe Martinez, his passing was, maybe that's what he's been told to do as well, though. Um, I think he is very good on the ball. Very good on the ball. I, I think there's an element of him sort of showing Arteta what he can do, maybe. Do you know what I mean? He's like, mm-hmm. this is my chance. And he spoke actually about it during lockdown. He said, Arteta's told us as goalkeepers, he wants us to have a higher starting position, be more involved in the build-up play, mm. be on the ball a bit more. And he is showing he can do that. I mean, you know, he's got every type of pass in his locker, it seems. He can go short, he can go long. Uh, I mean, speaking of going long, I thought for a second he might concede a goal kick. Uh, against Sheffield United when the yeah. ball caught the wind. Like oh, that. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, for um, sure. But, yeah, I've I've really liked what I've seen in Martinez. I do think his biggest problem has been getting game time, you know, mm. more than anything. But uh, I'm just pleased for him he's got this chance for now. Yeah, he feels relatively sure backup. Uh, and this, you know, hopefully won't come back to bite us in the arse. I talked about Rob Holding reading the game very well in the last podcast and then he... He completely missed that header, so hopefully yeah. something similar. But yeah, no, he's been he's been fine. Um, couple more quickly. Parlay, who's at Parlay eighty five, who says, if you could rob any player from one of the relegated teams, who would it be? Said Max Aaron's looks like a better long term option to me at the moment. I presume than Bellerin or Suarez. Yeah, I mean. Um 
he, he is a, that is a decent shout. I think he's a really good prospect. I actually think that Todd Cantwell's a pretty good midfielder. Same agent as uh, Eddie Nketiah and Bukayo Saka well, and Reese Nelson. So we got him um, in there. My actual answer to this is Tyrone Mings from Aston Villa. I would buy him as a centre-half. Right. I think he is, uh, you know, left-sided centre-back, six-foot-plus, strong. I think he's a really good player. And if they go down, Mm. someone will buy him. Um, Still, yeah, 27, you know, which is quite young in the the life of a centre-half. So you could very, very easily make the point that uh, Mings can only get better. Exactly. Uh, You know, and you could have... You could have four good years out of him. So, yeah, I think mm. that would be my choice. I mean, it depends who goes down. I'm trying to look. Who else is in the mix there? West Watford. Ham are in the mix. Yeah, Watford. Watford. Bring back Wilshire. Um, Watford, I mean, you know, Abdullah Decore will inevitably be linked with Arsenal, whatever happens. Um, mm. I actually think Ishmael Assar at Watford is a really good player, but we've got Pepe on that side, so yeah. maybe not an obvious need for it. Um, ba, 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 ba. I mean, I'm, I think I'm sort of... I know he's, people are saying he's going to Man United, but I would be very interested Man in Jack Grealish. Grealish. Yeah. You know, if you're looking for players with personality, if you're looking for players with character, uh, I think he's got plenty of that. And he seems, you know, after like perhaps in the early part of his career, um, having some moments where, you know, he was a young lad who got a bit carried away with himself, as can happen. Mm. Um, he seems to be channeling it really well. Um, so... You know I'm a fan of his calves, so I'd be I'd be definitely That's after him. True. By the way, on the Balogun situation, I've just mm. seen a tweet that I think it's worth um, mentioning, which is a tweet by Akinos AFC, and they make the point, which I think is very worthwhile, that at 17, as an academy graduate, you can only sign a two-year deal. So when players get to 18, they have to either sign a deal again. Uh, or not and they're making the point that increasingly players won't you know because they want to go and play week in week out and they've seen that there are opportunities uh, you know on the continent so yeah I I actually had forgotten that that you can only sign for two years at 17 which is why you end up in the situation that we're in with Balogun and to an extent with Saka is that right? I think it is actually I'd, I'd, I'd heard that before and forgotten it. Mm. Okay, I'd have to look into that just to just to do uh, just to find. I mean, out. I should I should absolutely look into it, but I, I saw it and it just, I suddenly thought, oh yeah, I think that's right actually. Okay. Um, so yeah. All right. Final question um, from Johnny Comer, who's at here's Johnny nine eight seven. He says, "What's the story with Genduzi?" I don't know. I mean. <sighs> He's he's trouble, isn't he? He's trouble, that boy. He's trouble, that boy. Whether you love him or loathe him, he's 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 a little he's a naughty boy, Matteo Ganduzi. Um, I yeah, was not in the squad. Very surprised that nobody asked Arteta a question at his press conference as to why Ganduzi wasn't in the squad because you know he wasn't in the squad for the Southampton game. And we've seen before that when he left him out against Newcastle, I think he was back in the squad for the next game. So um, the punishment in in this particular scenario seems quite, well, it's twice as severe so far. Mm. Mm. I mean, it does. It does. And 
again, I, I wouldn't rule out Arteta turning round on that and including him further down the line. But clearly there is something at play here. And speaking of contracts, you know, if, if Mateo is making it clear that he isn't inclined to sign a new one, I mean, that does make the decision mm. for Arsenal. Arsenal can be led by that to an extent. Should be led by that, really. Um, yeah, look, it's one of those where you win a game, these things don't come up, you know. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think we had another sort of uh, associated question from Scott McMurdo, who, who said, any thoughts on this rumoured Genduzi parte straight swap deal? And that just strikes me as like, uh, I can't imagine that in the last three days, this scenario has been played out either at Arsenal level or Atletico Madrid level. No. You know, because it's happened so quickly. Uh, I know there's opportunism in football and, and everything else, but it doesn't strike me as, as something that the, the clubs themselves would be considering right now. Um, but of course, it, it makes for interesting reading when you look at the, the, the Ginduzi situation, when you look at the, the parte or, or the desire that people have for Arsenal to sign this guy. Yeah, and look, I mean, I think part of the... I mean, someone asked us on a podcast the other day which Arsenal player that they've been linked with would you most like to sign this summer? And I think I said Partey just because, I, as far as I'm aware, that's pretty much the only one. Yeah. Uh, and there has been a lot of noise about it. Um, but yeah, as to whether him and Gunduzi would actually do a swap, I don't know. I think that's sort of... Mm. Putting two and two together at the moment. I mean, granted, I just did the same with Lacazette, but there you go. Um, that is speculation. I, I, I mean, do you think Genduzi will be back involved on Wednesday? If you had to guess, um, I don't know. I mean, look, I was kind of half expecting him to be involved yesterday. Um, so we don't know quite what's gone on. Uh, I think the only thing we can say with some certainty is that something has gone on. Something yeah. has happened. Um, and, and the game's changed a little bit for Arteta in that Shaka's back from injury now. Mm, Torreira's uh, Sabios, coming back. Torreira's not far away. Sabas has signed the extension until the end of the season. So he's got a little bit more flexibility in his options in that area. He's a little bit less reliant on Ganduzi. So, yeah, I don't think he'll be rushing him back until until he's happy that kind of everything's hunky-dory. Yeah, I mean, and I suppose... One thing that people have complained about is Arsenal players being given, you know, an easy ride or, or what have you, um, you know, in training, at the training ground and all that kind of stuff. And if there is a new era being cultivated at the club in which discipline is held as kind of sacrosanct, you know, mm. it, it seems obvious that, that there's been a disciplinary issue, which is why Ginduzi is out of the squad. Mm. So even if we don't know what that is, and even if Ginduzi is our favourite player or not our favourite player, I mean, I've, people can go back and read the blog I did at the weekend. You know, he is very Marmite. Uh, some people love him. Some people just can't stand him. Mm. I, I think we have to respect the decision that, that the manager is made in this scenario that if we want discipline, if we want the players to work hard and, and follow the rules for the benefit of the team and ultimately the benefit of the football club, um, you know, even if you're very favorably disposed towards Genduzi, this is a scenario in which, like Arteta's not a guy who's not going to cut off his nose or is going to cut off his nose despite his face. You know, I think mm -hmm. he, he takes decisions which he realizes will have consequences. Um, 
So I think, you know, in, in this particular scenario, until we get more information about what's happened, I have to trust that the manager is doing this for what he believes are the right reasons. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, I would just concur with that. All right. Okay, well, look, we'll leave it there, will we? Yeah, let's uh, leave it there. Let's leave We've it got there. got another game to talk about very soon. Yeah, Arsenal against Norwich, our first home game. It'll be weird, won't it? Um, whatever about playing away games with no fans in the stadium, it's going to be weird watching an Arsenal game at home with no fans. And I think, obviously, for for a lot of Arsenal fans who are season ticket holders and reg- regular match goers, it's going to be a, a strange one too, a strange experience. Yes, I think it will be especially weird for it to be a home game. But also kind of nice, maybe, to see the old place and sort of mm. see some familiar surroundings. Hopefully our players feel a bit more comfortable there and we can get a good result. I mean, we have, you know, turned it rounds maybe a bit strong, but it was a really tricky start to football coming back and things feel a bit more settled now. A home win would yeah. really help. But this, Norwich are fighting for their lives. Exactly. The yeah, it's not going to be easy, but we do sort of have something to build on from the last two games so fingers crossed we see that anyway we will be here on Thursday morning to discuss the uh, the Arsenal versus Norwich game uh, in the meantime thank you as ever for listening uh, thanks for being here subscribing sharing the podcast and all the rest and we will catch you on the next one bye bye Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.